Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we talk about issues of interest to the local, national, and international endurance communities. Uh, this is our first bi-weekly episode. The last time I talked to you was two weeks ago. Um, and in fact, the last time I talked to you was two weeks and one day ago. I apologize for being one day late. Uh, in the interim between the last couple of installments here, uh, my family has moved. So I'm actually coming to you from a brand new location. And frankly, it took me a little while to find the microphone amongst all of the boxes here. So I apologize for that, but it's now been located and we are moving forward here. Alas, amidst the crush of everything else, I was unable to find any new theme music as well. So even though I promised two weeks ago that two weeks ago that would be the only episode where we would not have intro and outro music, I have failed you once again. I apologize. Two weeks from now, since we're now on a bi-weekly format, two weeks from now I do look forward to having some good solid intro and outro music for you. So by all means... Look forward to that. Uh, in the news this week, you might have seen there was a track meet in Northern Virginia uh, between four schools. It was a quad meet. Hayfield Secondary School, Fairfax High School, Langley High School, and South Lakes High School. South Lakes High School from Reston, Virginia, by the way, is the alma mater of Alan Webb, who is the uh, both the high school record holder and the elite men's record holder in the mile uh, here in the United States. Um, but it was held at Hayfield Secondary School, and there was a team from Fairfax High School, a 4 by 100 meter relay team from Fairfax High School uh, that made the news. Um, I, kind of going to tell the story, let's look at a quotation from Tiona Witherspoon. She was actually on the team. She said, quote, It was actually senior night, and we wanted to do something fun and just have a blast that night. And we were just like, what's something different that other teams don't really do? And we were like, let's run a 4 by one with a pole. It was kind of a collective decision. Me and my friend Naya, she was a second leg, and we were kind of jokesters on the team. We both kind of came up with the idea to have some fun, unquote. As she suggested there, her team, and her team, by the way, on the 4x100 team, uh, are state qualifiers. They are good athletes. They are fast, fast runners. In matter of fact, they had already won the 4x100 in a prior heat. They lined up again, and rather than lining up with a standard relay baton, they lined up with a high jump bar. Um, they got out in lane six so they would make sure they weren't interfering with too many other people. But rather than the lightweight baton, which is about 12 inches long, uh, according to international rules, it has to be between 0.28 and 0.3 meters long. Um, instead, they got a high jump bar, which is about 6 to 10 feet long, depending on the way that you actually set it up here. Uh, and Tiana, the girl that we just talked about, she ran laid off. Naya, the girl that she just mentioned there, ran second. Uh, a girl named Sammy Soda ran third, and a girl named Aaron Hopkins ran the anchor. And they ran it with a high jump bar. Um, they actually won their heat. Uh, there was about three teams in their heat, and thanks to a pretty blazing anchor leg, particularly considering that she was carrying a six-foot uh, high jump bar with her, um, uh, Aaron Hopkins on the anchor leg there, uh, they were actually able to win their heat. Uh, going back to Tiona, though, she said, quote, The whole time I was running, I was just like, this is really, really fun. I love my teammates. Everyone who was on the 4 by one team, we were all really, really close. It was just fun, unquote. And that's what made me think a lot about tonight's topic. Tonight's topic is about groups and about teams and about training in teams and in groups. I feel like everywhere I look, I see something about a training group or, or a group of people who are coming together in order to pursue fitness goals um, 
at the same time. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm a part of a, of a group. Um, I am someone who coaches as part of the group. Uh, this podcast is sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, which very much emphasizes group workouts and group training. Um, but ITL is just part of a, of a growing movement. Uh, it's not only in Atlanta, but it's also nationally. Even the non-clubs out there are kind of acting like clubs. You have the growth of indoor spin studios. Uh, you have CrossFit uh, gyms. You even have like bar and yoga and all these other classes, um, uh, boot camps, which are predicated on group dynamics and group fitness. There are so many different ways that people can actually work out with groups now. I, like I said, I feel like groups are everywhere. And it's not just like groups in a gym. You don't have to go to a yoga studio to be in a yoga group. They have like yoga on the beach. Um, and it's not just CrossFit that takes place in the CrossFit gym, but they have like CrossFit in the park and stuff like that. Um, and so so there are so many different opportunities for, for group fitness out there. Um, there's articles about groups that are everywhere. There was a piece recently in the New York Times, um, and in fact, the cover article of Runner's World this month is about groups, um, and it shows a group of people running together in Los Angeles, as a matter of fact. Um, people cite all the things that you would expect about being with a group, about working out with a group, about training with a group. You have accountability. You have variety. Um, some people do complain that there's not a lot of individualized programming, and that's a fair fair criticism. Um, and they also say there's a potential for overtraining. And that's actually something we've seen in ITL is that people will get so sucked up in the group training uh, that they won't want to miss a single group session and they'll end up training a little bit too hard or not taking enough time to recover after a major effort um, and, and can put themselves at risk for overtraining. Personally, um, I joined a team, a triathlon team in 2012, um, that didn't to me feel much like a team. I really liked the individual people on it, but there was no team dynamic. There was no group working out. There was not a whole lot of time that we spent together uh, doing things. Um, and so at the end of 2012, I ended up leaving it for the Atlanta Triathlon Club, which to me felt more like a team in 2013. Uh, they had group workouts. They had cohesion. They had shared goals. They had uh, an infrastructure of support there. And that was something that personally mattered to me a great deal after I had spent a lot of time in 2012 and in 2011 and 2010 uh, training mostly solo. Um, I think that even though we like as endurance athletes to talk about going it alone and we kind of even fetishize it a little bit. We talk about the so-called loneliness of the long distance runner and about getting up early and putting in all these solo miles and all that kind of thing. I think most of us actually really like working out with other people. Um, I also often wonder if it is programmed in us. Um, you know, human beings are pack animals. Um, a lot of the things that we have done as a species, the progress that we made as a species, is not because of individuals doing things. It's because of groups together coming and doing things. And when I say progress as a species, I don't just mean like recent progress, even though that's certainly included. I mean like progress way back 200,000 years ago. The reason why Homo sapiens were able to move off the savanna and ultimately create civilizations is because of working together, not because of competing against one another as individuals. Um, you know, we like to look at heroes in our history, but all of our heroes wouldn't be heroes without the groups that they were in. Um, Martin Luther King was a leader of a movement of people. 
Um, if he had been solo doing boy boycotts, it wouldn't have made a whole lot of difference. George Washington was a leader of people. If he would have been Valley Forge solo, he would have just frozen to death and none of us would have ever heard of him. Um, John Lewis makes this point very clearly in his book, Walking with the Wind, uh, talking about the Civil Rights Movement, that the movement is about a group of people, not about the leaders of that group, even though the leaders of the group tend to be the ones who end up getting a lot of the attention. Um, so we as human beings are pack animals. We accomplish things together. In addition, most of us started in groups. Most of us started sports in groups, that is. When you look back on the roots of your athletic career, and I mean truly the roots of your athletic career, it's likely that you were on some sort of team. For me, my first teams, my first experience in athletics uh, was when I was in first grade and I played soccer. Even before that, if you want to make it less formal, when I would play outside, I was usually playing with the kids down the street. Um, almost all of my athletic pursuits, until, they, they, uh, until I got out of college, until I became an adult, uh, were done as part of a team, were done under the umbrella as a team. There was some sort of team infrastructure actually built into that. Um, and so there's all sorts of really, really fantastic things that can come from group exercise. Um, incidentally, I found a publication by the American College of Sports Medicine. It cites all of these typical advantages of group exercise, and it actually adds another one. Um, in group settings, yes, we get the support, and yes, we get the accountability, and, and yes, we get the variety and the excitement and all of those sorts of things. But they also, the American College of Sports Medicine, mentioned that, that in group settings, particularly groups that are led by a coach, you're more likely to do the things that you might otherwise skip. So in other words, if you don't like to, to stretch, if you're in a group, you're more likely to stretch, particularly if there is a leader of that group that's forcing everyone to stretch. If you don't like to warm up, well, you're more likely to do a warm-up if there's somebody there who's guiding the group through a warm-up. Um, if you only uh, like to do tempo-level intervals and you never do max VO2 stuff, um, which I think a lot of endurance athletes are guilty of doing, by the way. I have a long-running or in-progress blog post about that very thing. Um, but if you don't like doing super high-intensity repeats, if you go into a group and that's what the group's doing, you're more likely to do it than you would if you went solo. And so I appreciated that uh, piece from the American College of Sports Medicine actually citing that because that's something that I don't always necessarily think about, but certainly something I've definitely experienced uh, when part of a team and when in a group. Um, so what does the research actually say? In addition to that piece, what are some of the research out there? Um, well, I looked up lots of different things, and I found lots of interesting stuff out here. Um, first, just citing a fairly recent study from 2014 that backs up the conventional wisdom. Um, there was a, the University of East Anglia's Norwich Me Medical School. Uh, their research has determined that regular walks conducted with a group helped reduce blood pressure, resting heart rates, and body fat levels. Um, they also found that people who took part in group walks um, had lower levels of stroke, lower lower levels of heart disease, lower levels of depression, and even had lower levels of, of recurrence of cancer in the participants versus the people who were not taking part in group walks and who were left to do fitness on their own. So importantly with this one, their control group was not exercisers versus non-exercisers. Their, their control group and their, their independent variables were, were people who were doing group walks and people who were left on their own to do the exercising that they knew that they needed to do. 
People who took part in group walks ended up walking more, and as a result, they ended up having all the positive benefits of exercise that people who were left to do it on their own didn't really have all that much. Um, according to the study, those inv- individuals who participated in group walks traveled further and faster than they normally would have on their own. Uh, they also displayed a more positive attitude towards exercising, uh, and they felt less isolated and alone in their daily lives beyond exercise. Um, so on that note, also kind of speaking about generalities, I found some interesting stuff about men and women. Um, there's a research study. It was just a dissertation when I found it. I don't know if it's been published yet or not. Uh, but it came from the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign um, in 2012. Um, and they looked at men versus women. And they also broke it down by race and a few other things. But there weren't a whole lot of statistic, or statistically significant differences between races and, and, and other things that they broke down. Uh, but they started with about 400 quantitative studies. Uh, they gave out questionnaires to about 400 people. And they followed up with about 200 or 20, pardon me, not 200, about 20 qualitative interviews. Now, this is a fairly common thing in studies, by the way. They give a lot of people a survey, and they find some data, and they look at overall trends, and then they follow up with some qualitative interviews in order to try and add meat to the bones, if you will, in order to try and answer some of the open questions that are raised by all the quantitative data that they gather. Um, But they found, both in the quantitative initial study and in the qualitative follow-up, that women were more often encouraged to take part in groups while men were more often encouraged simply to exercise. So in other words, women were more likely to say to other women, hey, I'm getting ready to go work out. Why don't you come work out with me? Or, hey, I have this group of people that has this really great class and we all get together on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. You should come join us. Whereas men... They would say things to encourage one another to exercise. Oh, dude, you need to get in the gym more often. Um, but they would never say, dude, you need to get in the gym more often. Why don't you come work out with me and my buddies? Um, women would encourage other women to join them in groups, whereas men would simply be encouraged to exercise. Um, and I think the reason why that stood out so much to me, not only because I'm a guy and because uh, I certainly enjoy working out with groups and enjoy the support of groups, but also because... When you consider it alongside a different study, I think the results are even that much more uh, striking. Uh, There was a 2001 study uh, that looked into stress levels of people who exercised in groups versus people who weren't in groups, group exercises versus non-groupers, if you will. Uh, They took 136 people, um, and they had some participants exercise solo. They had some people exercise with another person, but they didn't talk. Um, and then they had a third group of people exercise with another person and converse and actually you know, interact with that person while they were actually exercising. Now, they didn't do a whole lot of exercise. They only did 30 minutes of, uh, of spinning on the bike at moderate intensity. Um, but they found some interesting things. Um, they asked them questionnaires both after the spinning and at night before they went to sleep about their state of mind. And what they found was that those who exercised with others felt calmer throughout the course of the day and felt calmer by the evening. But at the same time, those who exercised with others felt more tired, um, that the actual exercising wore them out, the exercising while socializing wore them out more than simply going through the 30 minutes alone. Now, was it because they were actually going harder because they felt a push from that person? Um, Was it because their mind was drained as well as their bodies? And of course, we talked about the, uh, the way that the mind and the body are so linked when it comes to fatigue a couple of episodes ago. Maybe. It's not exactly clear from the study itself. But the striking part about that, particularly when compared alongside that 2012 study uh, looking at men and women, was that males reported more positive psychological outcomes 
than females did from exercising with a group of people. In other words, males get encouraged to take part in groups less often than females. However, males get more out of exercising with a group than females do. Um, that contradiction stood out to me as I was looking at the body research out there. Um, so, does it actually improve your performance? Um, there's sort of an adage out there that's to the effect of if you want to have fun, you should do it with a group, and if you want to improve your performance, you should do it alone. Um, and so I wanted to look into the idea of, of does it actually improve your performance? Um, does it actually make you a better athlete to, to work out in a group? In my personal experience, it's been yes, but of course I wanted to see what research had to say. And so there's some interesting research from the University of Oxford that just came out a couple of months ago, um, and it was published in a journal called Evolution and Human Behavior. They took a big group of people and they taught them dance moves. Um, and then they put them in groups of four. They put headphones on each person so that they were all hearing music, and then they told them to dance. And so it's kind of a weird scene if you picture it for a second. You have a group of four people all of whom have been taught particular dance moves, and they're all listening on headphones to music. And so they all have the music they're all kind of listening to together. Um, now, they taught some people the same dance moves. Let's call that group Group A. They taught Group A all the same dance moves. And then Group B was a smaller group of people. They taught them different dance moves from Group A. And then when they got them together in groups of four and put their headphones on them, they would put like all Group A people in one group of four. And then they might put three group A people and one group B person um, to see what would happen then. Um, and then they put all group B people together in one group and then maybe put a group A person in there so that group A person would be solo as well. Um, and, of course, they play the music and they start dancing. And so in every time you had a group of four people, some of them would be dancing together, essentially. Even though they all have their own headphones on, they've been taught the same moves, and so they're dancing essentially together. But yet there would be an odd person out. Um, if you had three group A people and one group B per people in the group of four, that group P person, because they knew different moves, would kind of be dancing solo, even though the group A people were all there and were all dancing as well. They're all dancing together. The group B person is dancing effectively solo because they know different moves. And so they kind of compared the differences between the people who were dancing together and the people were, that were kind of dancing solo, even though they're, they're in these groups. Now, they tested their pain tolerance using an arm cuff. You know those cuffs that they put on your arm in order to measure your, your blood pressure? They tested their pain tolerance using that. Um, and they basically would crank it up and see exactly how much pain the person could take. Now, that sounds pretty brutal, but it's a fairly common thing to do. Um, those that had partners, those dancers that had partners and were able to synchronize their dancing were able to withstand more pain. Said another way, engaging in the group activity made their pain tolerance go up. Um, on the other hand, those that were stranded and that were dancing solo, um, they were actually able to take less pain than they had been before the dancing session. Said another way, being isolated made their pain tolerance go down. So, if you engage in group activities, you can endure more pain. Your mind releases more endorphins, which helps you manage the pain if you're in a group better than it does if you're solo. And obviously, that's going to have a positive impact on your performance. So in case you're saying, oh, well, that's just a bunch of dancing and I'm a serious athlete, I submit. The same group of people at Oxford did the same experiment with a rowing team 
five years ago. University of Oxford rowing team is really famous, and they do all sorts of different experiments with them. Um, five years ago for the Journey Biology Letters, they divided the crew into teams of six. Um, and each of them performed a series of identical workouts using herbs, using rowing machines. The only variable was whether the workouts were performed alone or in teams where all six machines were put beside one another and the coxswain, the, the, the person who sits at the front of the boat, the coxswain actually synchronized all of the rowing together. After each workout, they did the same blood pressure cuff thing in order to measure um, the, the pain tolerance of the people. Um, the group, the rower's group, um, was that they did it in a group the rower's pain threshold was consistently twice as high after exercising with their teammates compared to exercising alone even though the intensity of the workouts was identical they did the same workout and when they did it with a group with six of their teammates coordinated and synchronized with the coxswain they were able to take twice as much pain than they were after they had done the exact same workout solo um so clearly it works on very highly trained athletes as well. Um, so all these things being said, not all groups are good. Um, or at least we should say you don't necessarily get a sudden benefit just by throwing a whole bunch of people together. Um, there was a University of Saskatchewan professor named Kevin Spink. Uh, he's found that those who feel a greater sense of groupness, if you will, and cohesion within an exercise class, uh, they tend to be more punctual, they tend to have better attendance, and they even tend to work a little bit harder. Um, this sense of groupness, um, like the existence of group norms, um, all of these things can, can contribute to positive group benefits. Um, the existence of group norms, the sense of people that they're part of a group matters. Um, he actually studied what he called minimal groups. These would be groups of just your three o'clock yoga class. And so it's not groups that, that really know each other or that communicate with one another outside of, of class or anything like that. They're people that just happen to come together once or twice a week. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, and he studied the level of groupness amongst them. And he found that existence of group norms and, importantly, the mindset of the people in the group was what determined the productiveness, the productivity of the group. Um, similarly, there was a, a, a writer named Charles Duhigg. Um, he wrote a book called Smarter, Faster, Better, um, and he talked about what he called psychologically safe environments. Um, and he said that in order for a group to be productive, in order for a group to promote the performance of the individuals inside the group, it had to be what he called a psychologically safe environment. Um, he said, quote, the competition is healthy and it doesn't spill over into defensiveness or become self or mutually destructive. Um, now, Duhigg was actually quoted in a recent article in Outside Magazine. Um, Outside Magazine, like I said, everybody's talking about and writing about groups right now. It was the cover of the Runner's World Magazine this month. But Outside Magazine recently had an article in which they talked about the Serious Elite Squad, um, which is a group of uh, long-distance uh, triathletes that are led by Siri Lindley. Um, it includes Miranda Carfrey, who is the uh, the the multi-time world champion and the course record holder for the, the Kona Ironman. Um, but, uh, but they quoted somebody from that group, a guy named Rafael Gonclaves, um, and he said, quote, everyone is training hard and pursuing their own individual excellence, even competing at times. But rather than trying to beat each other down, everyone is working to raise each other up, unquote. And that's what he called, that's what, that's what Duhigg calls a psychologically safe environment that a good productive group has that psychological safety to it. 
Um, and a group that doesn't have that psychological safety, a group where people are coming together and are bashing one another and beating each other up, um, actually can, can tear down an athlete rather than raising them up. All these things being said about groups and all these things about the importance and the effectiveness of groups being said. Um, Spink, the guy from the University of Saskatchewan who I just mentioned, um, he actually published a study along with another uh, researcher named Karen back in 1994. And they said that about a third of people um, enjoy exercising in groups. About another third prefers exercising alone. And about a remaining third is indifferent to it. Um, and he says, for those that are happy, exercise, uh, happy exercising alone, there's no reason to join a group. Um, they did this actually by studying the dropouts uh, of groups and versus the regular attendees and kind of seeing that. He wrote this back in 1994, though. Um, and I wonder whether that's changed with the advent of social media and, of course, the explosion of, of group exercise and, and uh, group training opportunities. Um, I'd be interested to see an updated version of that study. So there you have our look at groups here. Personally, I have always found them very worthwhile. Certainly, I try to promote a sense of groupness and a psychologically safe environment uh, inside ITL Coaching and Performance, the coaching group for whom I work. Um, but, uh, but certainly it gives us a lot to consider and a lot to continue working on. Uh, thanks for listening. By all means, follow us at Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. Check out the show notes on our blog, mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com. Uh, and follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to check out ITL Coaching at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash performance. And just like I said two weeks ago, if you want to go somewhere, particularly if you're traveling for a race and you don't want to do all the logistics, leave it up to my wife. Contact Casey the Travel Planner, facebook.com slash MEV, or drop her a line, Casey at UGA.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks.